first reading this morning is taken from 2 Chronicles, chapter 30, verses 1 to 20. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right both to the king and to the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, People of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not be like your brothers and your fathers and brothers who are unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their fathers, so that he made them an object of horror. As you see, do not be stiff-necked, as your fathers were. Submit to the Lord. Come to the sanctuary which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God, so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return, he will not turn his face from you if you return to him. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. <laughs> Nevertheless, some men of Asher, Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also, in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind, to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. A very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. They removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense altars, and threw them into the Kidron Valley. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the temple of the Lord. Then they took up their regular positions as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood handed to them by the Levites, since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lambs for all those who were not ceremonially clean and could not consecrate their lambs to the Lord. Although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover, contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed to them, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets his heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even if he is not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. 
Worship is about seeking the Lord with all our heart and lifting our heart up to the Lord with whatever is inside it. Just bring it to God this morning. I'm going to go back to Hezekiah because that's my script. He was one of the good guys. The book of Kings gives him the thumbs up. Says he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, and there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or since. He truly was an exceptional ruler who held fast to the Lord and kept on following him, keeping the commandments the Lord had given to Moses. The Lord was with him, and he was successful in all his ventures. Chronicles tells his story from a different perspective, but gives a similarly enthusiastic endorsement. Hezekiah was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything he undertook, in the service of God's temple, and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. This is a man who was dedicated to God. But when you look at his life, it's immediately apparent that that devotion to God did not mean he had an easy journey. His story makes it very clear that trusting in God doesn't make all your troubles disappear. Far from it. Hezekiah's trust in God was forged in adversity and his faith was tested to the limit. He hadn't been brought up to honour God. His father hadn't been committed to following the Lord. This meant that when Hezekiah came to the throne, the worship of the Lord had been neglected for the previous 16 years. In that period of time, the temple doors had been locked shut. One of the first things he wanted to do was to get them open and get the temple repaired. Priests and the Levites spent a fortnight purifying the temple, getting rid of everything unclean and dumping it in the Kidron Valley and reconsecrating all the utensils used for worship that Hezekiah's dad had kicked out. There was a huge amount of work, more than anticipated, and in a remarkably short space of time, the temple was up and running again and the sacrificial system re-established. But nevertheless, it was more of a mess than they thought. Hezekiah's vision had been to celebrate the Feast of Passover at the prescribed time, halfway through the first month of the year. But the temple was in such a state that this proved impossible. So having consulted with his officials, the whole assembly decided that although it was irregular, they would celebrate the Passover on the second month instead. But not everybody was happy with the decision. A bit like some church meetings, really. It was the priests whose job it was to preside over the Passover sacrifices, they were the ones who were reluctant to get on board. And because not all of the priests consecrated themselves, it meant that the whole business took much longer than anticipated. There weren't enough of the priests to do the duty of dealing with the burnt offerings, so the Levites had to get on board and fill in for them. They had the job of skinning the animals and preparing the burnt offerings, although the priests were the ones trained and authorised to do it. It was only when a huge crowd gathered in response to Hezekiah's invitation to celebrate the Passover that the priests and the remaining Levites were so shamed by the popular response among the ordinary people that they decided they'd better get themselves consecrated and got on board with the project after all. Why were they so reluctant? You would have thought priests would be at the forefront of seeing the worship of the Lord re-established. Well, they'd had a rough time. 
Priests depended on the people tithing to support them. In the past few years, people hadn't bothered. The temple hadn't been supported financially, so they drifted away to find other jobs. It was the only means of making a living that they had. They'd allowed the temple to fall into neglect, which meant they'd neglected their own devotion to the Lord as well. Had they been wholehearted in their duties, the temple wouldn't have been in such a state, but then it's hard to stand up against a king when he disagrees with what you're doing. And then perhaps as well among the priests, there were the sticklers for following the correct procedures. You could be cut off from God's people for eating the Passover if you hadn't been consecrated. And the Bible was very clear about when and how the Passover should be celebrated. There were those who said, if we can't do it properly, we shouldn't do it at all. If the correct procedure can't be followed, we should just leave it to next year. But when so many people came down to Jerusalem, especially those from the northern kingdom of Israel, those who hadn't been taken into exile by the Assyrian army, they came, but they hadn't undergone the appropriate rituals of purification. It was breaking the rules for them to eat the Passover in a state of being unclean. The letter of the law said they should be cut off from God's people. And among the priests, there were those who said, we can't do this, we mustn't do this. So there were those who couldn't be bothered. There were those who drifted away because they needed to find other ways of making ends meet. And there were those who wanted no part in Hezekiah's venture unless it was done in accordance with the letter of the law. So you get that the idea that Hezekiah's programme of reform was done in the teeth of indifference, opposition, passive resistance, apathy in some quarters, by those who should actually have been his closest allies. But Hezekiah, having pushed the boat out by inviting everyone to come down and celebrate the Passover, he wasn't going to send them away and say, sorry, we're not ready for you, or you can't come because you haven't prepared yourselves properly. That would have been unthinkable. So even though they hadn't come down in the appropriate state of ritual purity, he prays. And he focuses on God's goodness. He says, Lord, they've come to seek you. Pardon them. Atone for their sin. Because they've come to seek you with all their heart. And that's what really matters. Even if they're not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary, heal them. And we read that God heard Hezekiah's prayer. He welcomed, accepted, cleansed, forgave, healed and renewed the people because that is what God in his goodness does. I read that little prayer of Hezekiah and I'm reminded of Jesus because Jesus didn't shy away from breaking the rules when the rules kept people away from God, excluded them from his grace because people matter to God and God cares for them. And what good God looks for is people who will seek him with all their heart, however imperfect or messed up their lives might have been. And Hezekiah here shows a real pastoral heart. Unlike the priests who reluctantly and belatedly consecrated themselves to accept sacrifices from unclean pilgrims at an irregular celebration of the Passover, Hezekiah understood that God looks at the heart. And that God welcomes, accepts, forgives and heals those who come searching for him, whoever they are, wherever they come from, and whatever they've done. That's good news. That's the gospel. And yet, despite the fact Hezekiah was a man who, who sought the Lord with all his heart, he found himself in trouble. There he was besieged in Jerusalem with the Assyrian army camped outside the gates of the city. And things were pretty desperate. 
Sennacherib had exterminated, annihilated the northern kingdom. He'd now come south to Judah. And in the records of his invasion, Sennacherib boasts that he laid siege to and conquered 46 of Hezekiah's strong cities, his walled forts, and countless small villages in the vicinity. He imprisoned Hezekiah in Jerusalem like a bird shut up in its cage. And finding that his elite troops were deserting him, Hezekiah ended up paying a tribute of 30 talents of gold, 800 talents of silver, together with all kinds of precious stones and other valuable treasures. So much going so badly wrong for a man who'd set his heart on following the Lord. You can feel him thinking, this this wasn't supposed to happen. And maybe that's why his faith wavers a bit. Trying first to buy Sennacherib off with the gold leaf on the temple doors, among other treasures. Maybe the first time he went and sat in the temple, he could find no words to say because his mind was plagued by doubts. Was God there? Was God listening? Had he got it wrong? Had he been mistaken to purge the land of all the altars and sanctuaries that had ostensibly been erected to honour the Lord because he firmly believed that the temple in Jerusalem was the one place where the people needed to come and worship God? Had he miscalculated? And when he heard the Assyrian official telling the people it was no good trusting in the Lord because Hezekiah had removed the Lord's altars from the land, did those words hit home to Hezekiah? Did he wonder whether he'd done the right thing or not? And when the Assyrian official claimed that the Lord himself had sent the Assyrian army to destroy the land of Judah and Hezekiah could see them camped outside his window, did the evidence of what he saw shake his confidence in God? Because despite the glowing commendations he receives, Hezekiah was no superhero. He was an ordinary human being who struggled to follow God in difficult circumstances. That's why words failed him when he went to the temple. All he could do was send a message to the prophet Isaiah asking him to pray what was left of the nation in a time of distress and rebuke and disgrace. And there will be times when the most godly of us find ourselves so overwhelmed that we simply cannot pray. At home, nothing. Come to church, you just feel excluded from everything else that's going on because there's no connection with God. Hezekiah found himself in that state. And when he was there, he didn't keep it to himself. He sent his two right-hand men and the leading priest to Isaiah and said to the prophet, you pray for us because I can't pray at the moment. And if you have no sense of the presence of God in your heart, don't be afraid to reach out and share that with someone else who can pray with you and for you. It's one of the reasons why we have the prayer corner there, in the corner of church Sunday by Sunday. That's what it's there for. If you can't pray, there are other people who will pray with you and for you, and that will be means of grace carrying you through the dry periods. In the event, Isaiah prays, sends a message of reassurance, but it all gets worse before it gets better, as Hezekiah receives a threatening letter from the Assyrian king. But it's this final provocation 
but pushes Hezekiah into a desperate plea. He takes the letter into the temple, spreads it out before the Lord, and asks the Lord to open his ears and listen to what is being said, to open his eyes and see what is going on, to pay attention to the reality of the people's plight and deliver them from the hand of the Assyrian king. And at the last minute, in the most dramatic fashion, the Lord answers his prayer and spares them from disaster and defeat by destroying the Assyrian army. And, as if he didn't have enough to cope with, it was at about this point in time, faced with a threat from Assyria, that Hezekiah fell seriously ill and was at death's door. the age of 39, the last thing you want to be told is that you need to put your affairs in order, because this is it. You're not going to get better. Instead, you're going to die. But that's what Isaiah came to tell him. Hezekiah's response is to turn his face to the wall in a gesture of despair and to weep bitter tears of distress. Because this feels like the ultimate betrayal of a man who's done his best to serve God in the face of opposition from all sorts of quarters, from enemies and from friends. How could you treat me like this when I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have tried to do what is good in your eyes? And here we have one of the mysteries of answered prayer. Because the Lord tells Hezekiah through Isaiah that Hezekiah is going to die. But when the Lord hears Hezekiah's prayer and sees his tears, he has a change of heart. And before Isaiah has left the building, he's told to go back and tell the king, actually, God's decided he's going to heal you and add 15 years to your life. And as proof that that is the case, the shadow on the sundial is going to go back ten points. And we read earlier the prayer that's attributed to Hezekiah on this occasion from Isaiah 39. I mean, he doesn't even ask to be healed. Just that the Lord takes pity on him in his despair and distress and gives him another 15 years. And there will be people here this morning who will struggle with this. Because you've prayed. You've prayed with all your heart for healing. And it hasn't happened. And your despair and distress and trauma have been every bit as great as that experienced by Hezekiah. And it's always hard to read of other people's prayers being answered when yours haven't been. Maybe especially hard when you see that Hezekiah got healed and he didn't even ask for it. But then prayer sometimes is a matter of God reading our emotions and thoughts more than listening to our words. St. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit interceding for us with groans that words cannot express. And where God searches our hearts, he knows the mind of the Spirit within us. Sometimes that verse is applied to messages and tongues. Sometimes prayer is just about connecting our heart with God's heart so that he knows and sees and identifies with how we feel And we know and identify with his feelings for us and those for whom we pray. There is a saying which goes, and I heard it from one of you here. God did not promise days without pain, laughter without sorrow, or sun without rain. But he did promise strength for the day, comfort for the tears, and light for the darkness. 
If God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. That saying was true for Hezekiah in his trials. Whether he was struggling to turn around the spiritual life of the nation in the face of passive resistance and indifference or hostility, whether he was confronting aggressors or his own mortality, prayer was his lifetime, lifeline, connecting his heart with the heart of God. May prayer make that connection for you as well, whatever you are up against.